podcast. I am your host, Tisha Richmond. On this show, I chat with educators and thought leaders from around the world to hear stories of how they are transforming teaching and creating unforgettable learning experiences because we all have our own special magic. Welcome to the Make Learning Magical podcast. Today, I have Kevin Rinneman on the show. Kevin is an educator and an author. He serves as the Director of Innovation and Educational Technology at Calvert Catholic Schools. He has taught history, math, and technology at middle and high school grades, and has served as the Technology Director and Dean of Students for his district. Kevin has coached numerous sports, including wrestling, golf, baseball, and esports. He is a graduate of Heidelberg University and Western Governors University, earning both his bachelor's and master's degree. He also serves as an adjunct professor at Tiffin University. I have been looking forward to having him on the show for quite some time and I'm so looking forward to our conversation today. Welcome, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me on. So happy that we get to uh, finally make this happen. I know, I know. It has been in the works for a while. And I think the very first time that I met you was at FETC I, 2019? 18, 19, somewhere in there. Yeah, it's a blur anymore. Yeah, and it's we're going to be heading into that same time of year again, where we are both heading to FETC in a couple weeks. And so excited to get to reconnect. It's always an amazing conference. And we'll talk a little bit about that conference later on in the show. But it's it's great to have you on as we as we start a new year. Yeah, finally. Let's uh Let's talk about some really cool stuff that's happening. I'm ready. I am so ready. Well, I would love for you to share uh, with the listeners just a little bit about your educational background. How did you get started on this educational journey and and share a little bit about what you are currently doing? Yeah. Uh, Well, I I have that stereotypical path um, that you hear a lot of, I think, especially males. I I don't mean to go with genders and stuff that way, but... um, I wanted to coach when I was in high school. I thought, oh, you know, I love the sport of wrestling. I'm going to go and be a wrestling coach. And what do, what do coaches do? They teach. So I guess I'm going to go into education. And uh, that, that's where it got started. Uh, my senior year knew that's the path that I thought I wanted to go in and went on to Heidelberg University, uh, joined the wrestling team there. And on the first day of practice, decided, you know what, this is not for me. I am not the college athlete. So I started coaching junior high wrestling back at my alma mater at that time, went through the educational program there, uh, wound up getting a job back at Calvert where I graduated from, where I was coaching during college. And then, you know, here it is, year 15 that I've been there. So uh, I love this place. Everyone's like family and, you know, it's helped me become who I am and uh, help me grow. And this is, uh, you know, we've been here the entire time. So I followed that path. And they, they uh, asked me at one point if I wanted to be the technology coordinator at the time. I said yes. And that's, that's where it really opened up to me. Finding that educational technology is what I feel is what I'm meant to be doing. That's amazing. How cool to be at the same place for so long. And I love that you said it feels like family because I think that's such a special thing when you find a place that does feel like family where you feel really connected, supported. Uh, and it's, it's I, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of rare and special. So I'm, I'm so happy for you. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, we always hear about how teachers don't make that much money. Well, when you go and 
work at a small private school, you make even less money. But mm. the trade-off of being in this environment where it is one, you know, our tagline is one family committed to Christ. And that it truly feels like that. You know, our son goes to school there. So being able to walk down the hall, if I'm having a bad day, just peek into his classroom and see him there, it's money doesn't do anything for that. You know, he can't wow. pass that up. That is amazing. That is so very cool. <laughs> so you said you have um, been passionate about educational technology for uh, a long time and you are now the director of innovation and educational technology. You have um, you have taught it, and you have you wrote a book. You wrote a book a couple years ago. I think it was in was it two thousand twenty one? Yeah, published in twenty twenty one. So it started as a you know for years I had had that. I think it was two thousand seventeen. I, I set my goal of I'm going to write a book. Mm-hmm. So I went back and forth between concepts. Uh, in the back of my mind, I thought 3D printing was what I should write a book about, but it's like, it's a really niche market. Is that is that what I want to go with? Do I want to base it on my podcast? Do I want to base it on my blog? What do, what do I want to do? Pitched a few different concepts to different publishers and finally wound up connecting with, uh, you know, my good friend, Kelly Croy with The Wired Educator, ran the idea of 3DU by him. And he's like, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Let's make that be the first book by Wired, Ed- Wired Educator Publishing. And lo and behold, about I don't know, 16 months later, I think it was from start to finish, took probably about 16 months to uh, to get it into the hands and seeing that final hard copy in, in my hands was a very, very touching experience. Oh, yeah. No, it's there's nothing like it. And that's amazing. And how cool that uh, that your book was the first for, first book to be. Uh, released for the Wired Educator. And I'm curious because I think everybody has kind of their own journey with writing um, and how their words, you know, spill out on the page. It's such a personal process. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, the journey that I had is, is, is maybe unique to me and, and other people have their own, own journey. So did you find that you, that writing process kind of came out systematically or what was that like for you to write this book? Did oh, you- I was a jumbled mess. I was, all <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that, that Kelly stressed to me the entire time was you just got to keep writing, find time to write yeah. and make sure you do it. Because if you let it go, it's going to fall behind. You're never going to finish. So what worked for me was, you know, every Sunday, you know, I, I'm used to on Sundays are when I do my lesson plans and when I do all my grades for the week. So my students know that if I assign something on Monday, they're not going to see it in the grade book until mm-hmm. Sunday. And that's just what works. And <clears throat> I uh, that's got my grades done, got my lesson plans done. Now it's starting time to write the book. Some days it was only 100 words. Other times it was two, three thousand words. It just yeah. kind of dependent on the day and, and how I got struck with it. Yeah. <clears throat> so what I think the biggest surprise in the entire process was I thought once you finish writing, like you're happy with all the words that are in there that, oh, it's going to go quick and then it's done. But I think it took more time for editing and getting the book cover and all that sort of stuff than it did to actually write the book. So if anybody out there is listening and they thought about writing a book, do it. Just just write, let yep. your words come to mind, then find somebody to work with that can help you put everything together and make it happen. Absolutely. That's such great advice. And 
And I love that you kind of dedicated that time, you know, and I think that that was the one thing that was hard for me is finding that dedicated time that was consistent. Uh, because even though, like you said, there were days you sat down and there was 100 or 200 words and the other days, maybe two or 3000, um, kind of keeping that, um, I don't know, that consistency of, okay, no, this is my time to write and mm-hmm. being okay if it didn't all come out like you wanted it to, or you didn't have uh, the amount of words that you were hoping for, but kind of carving out that time. That's yeah, that's awesome. Finding ways to, I'm a big person when it comes to to numbers and deadlines and those sort of things. So the different people I talked to over the time said, well, if you're writing a book that's educational technology based, you want to shoot for about 20,000 words. Now, other books out there, um, you know, you want to shoot for 50, 60, 70,000 words. Yeah. Um, so that's, I, I set up a spreadsheet. I put in how many, wor- how many uh, words I typed every Sunday, and then I just got to see that bar graph just keep growing and growing over time. And that was a big motivator for me is, oh, man, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. This is legitimate. This is going to happen. So you, you got to find what works for you. Yeah, I love that. That's such a smart idea. It's almost like you gamified it. <laughs> I want to see like I want to see that that bar go up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nerdery. <laughs> no, I think that that's that's fantastic. So so 3D printing, how did you embark in this? Like what what really inspired you to bring 3D printing into your educational space. And uh, I just would love to hear your story behind it. Yeah, it's another one of those things where I don't like the way we got into it, but it is what it is. So just like I got into teaching for the purpose of coaching, um, we got into 3D printing because we had money left over in the budget that we were going to lose if we didn't Mm -hmm. use it. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, I don't even know how long it's been. 2016, probably 15, 16. Um, we were coming up on the end of a budget. We had, you know, a few, maybe $10,000 left that, that needed to be used on something for student use. And we we're going back and forth with a few ideas. Like, are we going to do 3d printing? Are we going to do laser cutters? Should we just buy some laptops with it? And ultimately, we wound up going, well, let's get a MakerBot 3D printer. And that that just started everything off. It came in over the summer. I started playing around, learning how it works and everything. And uh, we ended up having some issues with, with that printer. And that's when my conversation started with MakerBot and the education team there and found great support with that company. And they... They've really helped me along the way. And in return, I love to give them shout outs whenever possible because they are they are a fantastic group based out of New York there. That's awesome. So when you you bought these three, you initially bought one 3D printer or you bought multiple? One. one. We bought one MakerBot. It uh, would have been the fifth generation replicator was what that was. Cost us about $2,500, I think is what the original investment was. And that came with uh, spools of filament and everything there. And we really didn't know where we were, what we were going to do with it at all. Just let's get it and then we'll go. Okay. So then where, where did it go? Like when you brought this 3D printer in um, to your school, where, where did it live and who, who had access to it initially? We have in our academy in high school, which is our, our building that houses grades six to 12, we have a uh, STEAM center 
down. It used to be our library. We took all the books out because they weren't being used anyways. Um, and we decided we were going to focus that space on STEAM classrooms, class <clears throat> courses, let's say. Mm-hmm. And so it was housed down there. I had access to it as the, I wasn't teaching at that time. I was just the director of technology. So mm-hmm. our technology teacher was the one that kind of was using it with his students. Mm-hmm. So we printed off a few small things like iPhone cases and uh, little like superheroes and stuff like that. And that's usually what I tell people to do when they're looking on how do I get started? What should I do first? Mm-hmm. Go and find those little things on Tinkercad. You know, if mm-hmm. you're into sports or if you're into Marvel movie heroes and stuff, mm-hmm. find things on Tinker or not Tinkercad, Thingiverse mm-hmm. um, that you can just download somebody else's design, print it off. That way you can look and understand how the 3D printer works. And that's the sort of things we did. And I think the first major project that we came across as with our students was the uh, maintenance worker came in and he had a floor buffer and there was a bushing on there that broke. And the company that he had reached out to to get a replacement said it was going to be, you know, on back order, it was going to be three, four weeks before they could get it in. And it was going to cost like $70, $80, something like that. Um, So he brought it to the teacher and said, hey, can your kids make this on that 3D printer thing? Oh, (laughs) wow. They took it upon themselves. They got to learn how to use digital calipers. And I think it took them four tries before they finally got one that worked. Um, And it did did the job. It didn't work long-term, but it was enough to hold over until the the replacement part could get there. So it was a great opportunity for them to learn the geometry, the math part of it, the design work, how all of the uh, shapes work together to, to make your objects. And they were helping somebody else around the school. They were solving a problem. Ah. That's what I love to see. And that's usually when I talk to other schools, those are the sort of projects that really get kids invested in it and understanding, oh man, we can do this. This is how we could use it at home too, is to solve problems. Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about all the other skills that are going into that, like you said, like the math and um, just the having to work together to try to figure out this, you know, figure out this problem and, you know, think about how to solve it. There's so many skills that are are brought into that learning process, which is, which is fantastic. And there's a lot of ownership too, that yeah. you know, they're taking part in helping their school beautification. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that's a great uh, suggestion for people who are wanting to get started, you know, to uh, start with those, you said thing, thingiverse? Thingiverse, yep. Thingiverse is a great way to kind of find those those things to, to learn how the machine operates to kind of get started, but then then think about like, what are some problems that we can solve in our community, in our school and and get them working together? That's awesome. So you brought this 3D printer into the STEAM lab. Your tech teacher started using it. How did your 3D journey evolve, printing journey evolve from there? A lot of working with students and, and coming up with ideas, looking around, you know, Twitter's been such a godsend. There's yeah. so many great educators out there on social media <clears throat> that are sharing ideas and everything. So I started sharing things out and then people started sharing with me and going back and forth and um, taking ideas from others and, you know, just kind of flip-flopping it. The the classic line is the best teachers steal. So <laughs> you find somebody else's project idea and think of how you can spin it for your students specifically or your community specifically around there. So, I mean, one of my favorite projects that we've done 
is the um, Washington, D.C. monuments. And, and mm. this side, over on this side of the country, since I'm over in Ohio, um, yeah. there's a ton of schools that, you know, when you're an eighth grader, you go on a, on a trip to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So I came up with this idea, ran it by um, our social studies teacher in the eighth grade. And it's like, well, why don't we break them up into groups? We'll talk about the sort of stuff they're going to see when they go down there and challenge them to design their own monument, their mm-hmm. own version of that monument. We 3D print it. We take it down there on the trip with us. And then those kids can stand in front of that monument and get a picture taken of them with their version of what they were coming down to see. Mm-hmm. So that, oh, that started cool. out that way. And it's evolved every year to, you know, adding a little bit more each time uh, to where it's, you know, now we're in groups of four. So one student is going to be the architect. That's the person doing the 3D design. Another one's going to be the researcher. They have to go and do all the research behind that specific monument. You know, why does it have a specific amount of pillars or why does it have some states' names on it, but not others? Why does the Washington Monument have two different colors of white stone in it? Um, mm-hmm. So that's a big task. Researcher, researcher, architect, uh, producer. The producer has to create either a slideshow, a document, you know, a classic report. Hardly everybody, any, hardly ever does anybody choose that path. Yeah. Um, usually either a slideshow or a movie. You know, the one year I had a group that decided, you know, we want to use that green screen that's in your room and we want to pretend we're the bus drivers and mm-hmm. the tour guide talking about it. And that's what they produced as a group. Um, they made a video of them themselves driving a bus with a green screen. So then they put the the bus in the background and they explained what the monument was. And then the final person in the group is the social media influencer. Since so many kids these days want to be that influencer, that they are the ones that are doing the presentation during class, or they're the ones that are in the front of the video. So it's that vocal person. And that's really led me to <clears throat> understanding how to make groups and how you got to have different types of uh, thought processes and Mm-hmm. different personalities to make all that that happen. So I usually make the kids choose like, what is your number one monument that we've taught that you're going to, that you would like to, you know, give me your top three, but make mm-hmm. sure you label which one's your number one. And then out of those four jobs, which one would you want to do the most? Some kids are going to flock to research. Some are going to, you know, they want to be the influencer part. Right. So it's neat to see all that. And then, you know, you try to match them all up so that Everybody has the job they wanted and the monument they wanted. Never works out perfectly, but always trying sure. to, to get there. So wow, this fantastic. this past year when we went, we took it to the next level. And I was so proud of the kids for this. They uh, We got back. We talked about what we saw. And it's like, what is our country missing? What mm-hmm. should be in Washington, D.C.? And they had to go and think of a topic. And they had to design their own memorial based on that topic. So oh, some cool. chose, uh, oh my gosh, what do we, Harriet Tubman was a popular choice, mm-hmm. which she does have a monument in New York, but uh, not in DC, or at least mm-hmm. I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Obama, Trump, Pearl mm-hmm. Harbor was another one that wound up being very pop- popular amongst the kids. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to see them take that thought to the next level on how we can honor those that came before us. Yeah. Oh, I'm oh, just a 3D printer. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that so much. And I think that that is really important to think about, you know, how can we incorporate 
something like a 3D printer into all of the different content areas that we we teach. And I think about some of our listeners who might be elementary teachers, middle school teachers, uh, high school teachers, and they think, well, how, like, where does this fit into my world, right? Like, maybe I don't have the budget. Maybe I have never even thought about bringing something like this into my classroom, into my school. Like, what would be your advice um, to teachers that really are intrigued, interested, can see maybe the value in in bringing this in? What what would be your um, suggestions for them to, to get started? Well, in, in most of the workshops that I host, um, I, I have teachers come up there like, well, there's no way I can have kindergartners or first graders doing this. Mm-hmm. And one of the first slides in my slideshow is a picture of this adorable little four-year-old on a Chromebook using Tinkercad. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he just so happens to be my kid, so he might be a little advanced when it comes <laughs> to technology sort of thing, but literally any kid can get on and use uh, Tinkercad, which is basic free CAD software. It's made mm-hmm. by AutoCAD. Um, if you have a Google username password, you can sign in with Google and don't be afraid to let the kids try. You know, a lot yeah. of them are using Roblox or they're using um, Minecraft. You know how popular Minecraft is. They're doing design work like that already. You just mm-hmm. have to give them the parameters on what on what they can do. And even if you're not comfortable going that route, one of the lessons that I've done with kindergarten students is they were learning about um, the weather and the different types of clouds. Mm-hmm. So what you can do is have the students... Uh, take a plain white note card. You don't want the lines on it. You want it to be plain and white. Give them a nice dark, you know, black Sharpie or something that has a lot of contrast. And they can draw on that note card. You can take a picture of it. You mm-hmm. can use um, a program online called a uh, PIC SVG, and that will convert your image file from your camera roll into what's called an SVG, which stands for Scalable Vector Graphics. And that SVG file will go into Tinkercad and become a three-dimensional object. So just like that, just pen and paper can do it and takes it from being that flat object to then you can have it, um, give it some height. So we did that. We, We had them draw their clouds that they learned about. And there's fantastic website. Um, you may have heard of it already since we already said it, Thingiverse. Um, Mm -hmm. they have Thingiverse education and on there is tons and tons of lesson plans that have been curated by educators all across the world. So they're labeled by content areas, and then they're also labeled by grade level bands. So if you are kindergarten, first, second grade, you can go look up what other teachers are doing. Like I said before, take somebody else's thing and let your brain start rolling there on mm-hmm. how you can use it specifically with your students. I love that. So as you're talking about SVG um, graphics, it made me think of my work in Canva because I do a lot of work in Canva. And when I go to the download, my Canva, you know, designs, SVG is one of the options that you can download in. So I'm wondering um, when, and I I never really totally understood what SVG meant. It just says, like, I I think when you uh, go to SVG in Canva, it says best for web design and animations. So -hmm. if I was to create something in Canva and download it as an SVG, would I be able to bring that into, bring that over to a 3D printer? Oh yeah. It all, it all depends on what, 
how do I want to say this? The design itself on the drawing, how elaborate it is, will okay. determine how well it will turn out. Got um, it. So I'm definitely interested in, you know, I'd love to take our school logo, try and uh -huh. make that in Canva, like recreate it. I already have that version though. The, the big difference is like a JPEG is done uh -huh. in little squares. Those are little bitmaps. Okay. That. So all the different colors are on all different squares inside the thing. Whereas with the SVG um, or Adobe files, mm -hmm. um, those are all vector graphics. So everything's in lines instead of squares. That's why they convert better. They can be expanded and not lose, get blurry and stuff like that, like the like the traditional uh, JPEGs would when you try to make them bigger. So that's okay. why that's probably why they say it's best for web and stuff there. Okay. Um, but yeah, we should totally try that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally intrigued. With, you know, whatever it is, it's just going to look at those lines that are in your file that you created and then it's just going to allow you to use all x y and z axes to uh to make it bigger and expand it out we're gonna i'm gonna once we finish up here i'm gonna have to go drive grab something off of canva and give that a whirl and see how it turns yeah out. no i would love to learn so yeah we'll definitely have to connect about that that might be a whole other show <laughs> oh my gosh how cool would it be to make a business card yeah. Canva, make it an SVG, convert it and have a 3D printed business card. That would be amazing. Oh, oh my goodness. Yes. We're we going to have to get that before FETC. We'll have to I see. know. <laughs> I know. We'll have to do that. Well, a great segue is FETC is coming up and we are both going to be there. That was, again, the very first time I met you was at FETC. Um, I went to one of your sessions and we were able to connect and um, I know I have a lot on the lineup um, that I will be doing at FETC, but I know you do too. And so I would love for you to share a little bit about what are you, what are your plans? What are you excited about learning at FETC? And what are you, where are you going to be so people can find you? Yeah, I am going to have two workshops on the pre-conference day. So that would be Monday. I think it's January 23rd. Okay. Um, I have a 1.30 to 3.30 that I'm doing um, 3D printing in the classroom. What do you know? <laughs> and then uh, shortly after that, from four to six, I am going to be doing another session that um, is going to be a workshop where you can get hands on. Uh, it's almost going to be like a playground or a sandbox where I'm going to have a couple printers in the room. I'm going to have a handful of other educators. I'm still working on getting my final volunteers around for that. Um, but we're going to have different areas throughout the room where you can just sit and hear from other educators on how they've used 3D printers. So cool. it could be, you know, if you want to, I'm going to have a, uh, a representative from uh, Texas who's working on deploying 3D printers in all of their hundreds of schools. I don't, I don't think it was thousands of schools. It was definitely at least a hundred, if not more. Uh, schools in their district where they're buying 3D printers. So if you want to learn about the process that they're going through on how do they decide what printer to go with, how do they weigh the pros and cons, how are they deploying, how are they teaching all of their educators facilitating PD, she's going to be a great resource for that. Wow. Um, I'm going to be there. I'm willing to talk to, you know, ask me your questions, what you have. I'll talk about my journey or help point you in the direction of people I think might be able to help you. Um, I'm looking to have some representatives of middle school level, of high school level, 
uh, English language arts, maybe some social studies, and just have different little pods, almost like a miniature ed camp, if you want to think of it. Love that. that. Inside yes. of the workshop where, you know, you can go around, um, spend 15 minutes in one section, then go over and hear from somebody else. So excited about that one. Then on, uh, so that's Monday. On Tuesday, I have a STEM theater session where I'm going to do a really quick tutorial on how to use um, Tinkercad. So I'm used to doing that in like a one to two hour workshop, and this is going to be in 30 minutes. So it's going to oh, be wow. interesting. I'm going to have to like <laughs> cruise right through it and then just meet up with people afterwards. Um, but then shortly after that, STEAM theater, STEM theater session, I will be heading over to the Meet the Author book to uh, have time to, to meet with people. So if you want to stop by and talk to me, that's a great, what are, what are those, about 45 minutes to an yeah, hour long, yeah. if I remember right. We got to hang out. You and I got to hang out there last year. That was a fun time. That's right. That's right. Very cool. That so seems that's like my FETC lineup. That's amazing. You are going to be very busy. And oh my goodness, so many amazing opportunities for people to connect with you and to learn. I love all of the different formats that you're going to be presenting in. And so definitely if any of you listeners are going to FETC, make sure that you look him up on the schedule, bookmark it, get it on your, get it on your agenda, uh, because you will learn so much. It's, it's so amazing and exciting just to, I, I got your book. I think I have a signed copy. So, um, if you already have a copy of his book, you'll definitely want to bring it to FETC to get your signed copy, but yeah, we're honored to be one of the first ones to get, to get that copy. And, um, yeah, I think, it's an area that I would love to dive more into. I haven't had a lot of experience with 3D printing, but as you are talking about um, talking about it and all the possibilities, it just gets me really excited and think about how I can support the teachers um, in, in my own district to get them started. And one of the things that you mentioned in your book um, is that the tools that we use, the, the digital tools that we use should be used for the three E's, engaging, enhancing, and extending. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about that and, and what, th what that means. Yeah, that's something that I, when I'm doing PD at school or when I'm working as an adjunct instructor at, at Tiffin University and working with the future teachers that are coming through that program, I, I like to stress to them that when you're looking at educational technology, it shouldn't just be the cool new flashy thing. It should either, <clears throat> it should hit one, two, or all three of the, the E's, engage, enhance, and extend. So first of all, does it engage your students? Does it do something better to help reach all those kids in the classroom that may not have traditionally been able to work through a, a lecture or anything like that? Um, and I found that, you know, that came to my mind when I first did some, um, what am I thinking here? Metaverse. No, not metaverse. What was the other one? Co-spaces. There we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we had students that were working in co-spaces to recreate um, battle scenes from um, the Revolutionary War. And there were students in that class when I was helping them that if they were just sitting and listening to a lecture, their minds are wandering, they're bouncing off the walls, they're becoming a behavior issue. Mm -hmm. But when we put this task in front of them, they were focused on the task at hand. They just fell in love with doing the design work inside of there. And something like that can easily be moved into almost any content area. 
So that's what I mean by engaging. Does it engage the class in a, in a different way than before? Um, yeah. Does it enhance the lesson? There's no sense in putting it in there if it's not going to change anything from what you did before. You're just adding more work on yourself and more opportunity for something to go wrong. Mm -hmm. But if it enhances your lesson and makes it a better lesson, run with it. Yeah. And then the, the final E is extend. Does it take your lesson and blow it out of the four walls that are in your classroom? And you know the big things that come to mind right there are we've learned so much as we're here on Zoom having this conversation. Zoom has been fantastic for making those connections with people out there in the real world that are doing the job, maybe on the content that you're talking about in your classroom. So finding people to come speak with your students. And I think everybody's found great support in that. You know, it's hard for somebody to travel to your classroom right. and give up days of work. But if they can hop on Zoom for a 15, 20 minute call, they're more than happy to, to give you that time. And then on the same lines with doing the, um, you know, co-spaces and building that virtual reality, that's allowing them a whole new realm to build in and mm -hmm. go beyond your classroom. That's something that they can share with their parents or share with their family. And, you know, you can't really put it on the fridge, hang it on right. there, but you can, you can invite them to experience what you have learned and what you have developed there. I love that. And I think I think it's so important because I find that, um, especially coming out of COVID, that sometimes educators are not wanting to bring, they just like, we've had so much tech time, right? We've been, mm -hmm. students have been on computers so much and and using so much technology. And we know that they're going home and using technology. We, we don't want to, you know, have that happening in the classroom or we, but to be mindful of well, let's look at it through this lens. Like if we can look at it through the lens of does it engage, does it enhance, does it extend, then it helps us to make those decisions of when is the right time to use this tool, you know, and how can we really use it in, uh, in powerful ways uh, for learning. So I, I love that. I think that's so important. Yeah. Anytime we can move from uh, consumption to creation, that's what, that's 100%. what we want to do. And that's what that's the battle I have at home with our seven-year-old right now. We bought him a Chromebook so he could do things. So, you know, he can work on IXL. He can work doing 3D designs and stuff like that. But we got to be careful because he wants to just get on there and he'll veg out and watch YouTube kids for hours on end. So yeah. you still have to parent. <laughs> 100%. No different no. than what, our, what my parents went through, making sure. Uh, you know, what cartoons am I watching and everything there? It's just uh, changed the the platform where we're getting to it at. A hundred percent. No, it's so, so true. Well, I'd love to hear what are some things that you're excited about right now in education? I know you're, you're heading to FETC um, and I know you, you love to learn as I do. What are some things that you're learning and are excited about at this moment in time? Yeah. Like uh, I love conferences and going to conferences and learning new things, but I think you got to have a a goal in mind when yeah. you're heading them. Like the one year that I think the the first year I went to FETC, we were toying around with the idea of launching a makerspace at our school. We had formed a committee doing all this. Um, so I went down there with that in mind is learning yeah. about makerspaces. And I came back with tons of information, shared it with our committee and the next school year we launched. And now we've had a makerspace in our building, in our elementary building for five years. And it's been a great asset to student learning. Uh, the big thing that I'm really interested in right now is called the Modern Classrooms Project. Um, it's, it's a different way of looking at how we deliver our content to our students. So if you are into gamification, 
if you are into, if you're doing the flipped classroom model, it would be easy for you to get into it. You know, some of the struggles I have when I'm teaching, um, you know, right now I have sixth grade and we're doing um, digital citizenship courses. And I, I use a lot of stuff from Common Sense Media. They have great, great digital citizenship lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, students are missing. You know, the, heaven forbid a kid get COVID, they're out for a week, maybe two weeks. Or, right. you know, they go on vacation or, or whatever it is. Um, I've had issues in the past where, you know, I'm doing my, my lecture up front with the kids. And then somebody needs to use a restroom. I excuse them. I just keep going on about my about what I'm teaching. They come back in, and they're lost. They missed out on something critical, and I, you know, I can't pause the entire class and wait for that kid right. to come back. That's not fair to the rest of the group. So I've been interested on in what we can do better in that regard. And from everything I've seen with this modern classrooms project, it's phenomenal. You know, you are taking your lectures. And you're recording them a lot like you would have in a in the traditional flipped classroom model that people have heard about for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of the students watching those videos at home, they're watching them in your class. Okay. So they they talk about how you, like you're cloning yourself. And I've done that with some of the uh, Google Applied Digital Skills lessons. They have these great videos on there that teach the kids how to do things in docs and sheets and slides mm-hmm. and all those programs. So that allowed me to you know walk around the room and and go one on one and help them while they're all as a class watching it. Well, this now takes it so that um, your students have a chart at the beginning of the week and they know what they. I'm going to end up getting these wrong because I'm still learning it all. But there's mm-hmm. three things. There's a must do, should do, aspire to do. Okay. And the must do's are obviously the things that you have to do for this particular lesson that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, should do's are those next steps that drive you a little bit further, but mm-hmm. are not necessarily a requirement. And then the aspire to do's are hitting that, that differentiation of instruction for those kids that are really into this content that um. you're talking about, that they can delve deeper into that and learn even more. Um, so you, you have um, a tracker board that's public facing so the students can all see it. They can see that, you know, I'm on part 1.2 and I'm struggling with it, I can look up at the board and see that so-and-so did great on 1.2. Now I can go to them and ask for help if Mr. Reinemann's busy with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it's allowing the students to work together and build that, that team mindset and working mm-hmm. together. And, you know, we've all seen it in the past when students teach each other, they yeah. learn even more. The person that's doing the teaching is getting even better at it. Um, but then it allows the, the teacher to be doing the checks for understanding in the classroom, doing the exit tickets, and they're giving more immediate feedback, which is something that I myself know I have to do better on. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting homework until Sunday, so that's not necessarily being fair to my students and getting them that feedback when they should. I know that's something I can do better. Um, so then they, they're just going at their own pace, and we're working towards um, mastery-based grading um, instead of just you know pass fail or anything like that, they have this exit ticket at the end. But all along the way, they're having these one-on-one meetings with the teacher that traditionally haven't been able to happen because they're just up front talking the entire time and uh, don't get that opportunity to work in small groups or work on one-on-one. So 
Um, they offer a free course that takes you through this. They also have a mentorship program. Um, I'm going through the free course right now. I think I'm about halfway through it. I told myself I was going to do it over Christmas break and it's been family time and I wouldn't pass that. I, looking back, I wouldn't though. pass up to all the great times I've had with our family in the past two weeks. Um, uh-huh. but yeah, that's that's a big thing I'm excited about. Hoping to hear from other people on on how they're doing that as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. That is something that I hadn't heard about and I love the concept. So thanks so much for sharing that. And I'll be excited to dive more into that. Do we, is there anything at FETC? Do you know that? I haven't looked yet, but now yeah. that we mentioned, I'm going to, that's another thing I better mark down that I need to do after we finish up our call. Our talk. Yeah. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll go to the same session. That'd be, that'd be really interesting to, to learn more about it. Well, Thank you so much for just sharing, Kevin. It's been such a joy to talk to you. I'm so excited to see you soon at FETC. And I know we're going to have further conversations because we're going to we're going to talk about Canva and SVG. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> how to bring that into 3D printing uh, for sure uh, coming up. Maybe we'll have to talk about that at FETC too. But I know that our listeners are going to want to know how they can connect with you, how they can find you, how they can find your book. So could you please share uh, how they can connect. Absolutely. Number one way is uh, send me a message on Twitter. My handle's at Kevin Reineman, at K-E-V-E-N-R-I-N-A-M-A-N. Uh, that's best way. I, you know, I get the notifications on there. I check it when I have the time to check it. And I am usually pretty darn good at getting back to people there. So any questions you have about 3D printing or really education in general, I'd love to have those conversations and connect with other other people. Um, I'm going to be at FETC like we talked about. I'm also going to be at OETC, which is the Ohio Educational Technology Conference. Um, that is in the middle of February. That's, I believe, February 14th, 15th, and 16th, if I remember correctly. Um, so I'll be doing some fun stuff there, some more, what do you know, 3D printing things. <laughs> and then um, usually I do a couple conferences over the summer as well, some smaller regional-based ones there. Um, but yeah, that's the main thing. Uh, find the book. It's available on Amazon. Just do a search for 3DU, um, 3D printing in any classroom. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it's always a pleasure to chat with you and I will see you very soon. Thanks so much for being on the show, Kevin. Thank you. Have a magical day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Make Learning Magical podcast. I hope you were inspired by this episode and encouraged to find new ways to bring magic into teaching and learning. You can connect with me on Twitter at Tish Rich, Instagram at Tish Richmond, or on my website at tisharichmond.com. Please use the hashtag MLMagical to share thoughts about this episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and tune in next week for another magical episode.